we thank you that we had this opportunity to minister to our own people in the city here. Even Clarence Peters, we stopped by his house and sang happy birthday. And he was full of tears. And we sang Christmas carols to him. Lord, be with some of the, the elderly who are, are, there's one home that has been hit really bad with COVID and a lot of people have passed away and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of loneliness. Lord, I pray that they would be able to find in Your Word the great message that You will never leave us or forsake us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, help us come up with other creative ways to minister to those who are lonely, who feel like they have no one. May we point them to You. May we be creative and mindful every moment, every day, how we can share the great message of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It was a wonderful time. Can't wait to see what we do next as a church. All right, so for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to do three weeks of a little series here, and then we're going to get into the book of James. We're going to get into Jimmy. I don't know what to call it, but we're going to do the book of James. For the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts chapter 2. So get your Bibles ready. You can go to Acts chapter 2 now if you want. And the reason we're doing this is I want to remind ourselves of our emphasis as a church, kind of what we're about, and also, listen to this, to prepare us for 2001. Imagine a year ago, if we know what 2020 would be like, man, we would, I don't know, we would stay in the Word, right? Stay in the Word. So this is going to be a great reminder of what our emphasis is as a church and also to prepare our minds and hearts for action as we go into this next year. Church life was tough and rewarding this past year all around the world. In many ways, church was tough even for us. We had, I think it was almost a two-month period. We weren't meeting here. We were doing stuff online. We still did church just in a different way. I did not like being a TV evangelist. That's not my style. But we still did church, but it was unique. And gratefully, we came back. We've done church in a different way. And it was hard. Here's a couple of hard things for us. To be honest, there are some people who aren't coming back. They were kind of just already on the cusp of just going, yeah, I just go to church because it's the thing to do. And now this is their excuse. Yeah, I'm not coming back. That saddens my heart. There are some who just are still trying to sort through it. There are many churches that are closing because of all that's going on. There are some churches even in our town that still have not met face-to-face yet. Talk to two pastors who've already resigned. There's been a study out, it came out about a month and a half ago, where 50% of ministers will consider resigning or, or just leaving ministry completely. This is a hard time. Oh, but it's also a rewarding time. The church is lasting, right? It's eternal. Look in Scripture. Christ died for the church. Nothing, nothing can stop the church, amen, and the movement of God. I love how churches have scratched their heads and got creative. Remember last Easter, we had the Easter box. We got creative and did different things. We have to do that now. We've got to be more creative. 
people are coming to know Jesus. Praise God, amen? The message of the gospel is being proclaimed. It's been a tough year, but also a rewarding year. So I'm excited to look in this passage. We'll just take three weeks looking at this passage here. In fact, we're just going to look at one verse as we go through this study. So let's pray before we get into the Word of God. Again, Father, we come before You and we, we take this moment to pray. At our church here, we do many activities and many events. And part of our Sunday service is fellowship and worship with song, and worship in the Word, the beauty of Your Word. And Lord, there are many things that can distract us. Satan does not like what we're doing right now. But too bad. We will do this. As we will find out today, there is such beauty in life in the Word. So Lord, we come before You and we ask that Your Spirit would Rivet us. Keep us focused on the beauty of this passage that has been an anchor for churches throughout church history. So guide us, dear Lord, this morning as we look at the beauty of Your Word. Alright, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Life in the early church. Remember we talked about Jesus, His ascension. And Acts chapter 1 begins that. And then the Spirit comes to the believers. We even talked about them when we were in the Minor Prophets. And then Peter preaches this sermon and 3,000 were added to the church. And this is a primarily a Jewish culture that's happening here. And when Peter preaches, in their minds, <clears throat> again, they've got the Old Testament understanding. They kind of did... Christ in the Old Testament, except for the New Testament part. They're waiting for this Messiah. Peter preaches, and then they realize this is it. He's the anointed one. All this is happening. And what did the church then do? How did they respond to this great 3,000 people just gathered together, come to worship? How do they respond? In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, Luke gives a portrait of the earliest christian church <clears throat> so listen to this take a look at verse starting with verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice the results of life in the church started expanding. There was awe and wonder. Amazing things happened. How inspiring to read this. The sharing of goods. The helping. The caring. So much was happening in this aspect here. Deep fellowship that we all long to experience. Truly an exciting period within the church. 
Let me say a little side note here. Some say, and I've heard this by um, people, some pastors even say this, they say this, we need to be more like the early church. And they'll pull up this passage here. And this is the exact pattern we are to follow. From this mindset, people then go, you know what, this is what they did? This is the early church. It wasn't tainted. So this is exactly the pattern we have to follow. And out of this, people go to home churches. Out of this, they stress this living and start living you know, in a community. They, they get houses together. Some people even gone as far as getting like big complexes, compounds, doing it. And this is how we should live. It sounds good, but we must understand the context and culture of what's happening here. These verses are very important. In fact, they're a very important thesis of this section here, Acts chapter 1 through 7. All that's happening, Acts 1 through 7, then this is kind of the pattern, and this is kind of the the thesis of chapters 1 through 7. A summary of the Jerusalem Christian church. A community that lasted for a few years like this. Then, in Acts chapter 8, something happens. Persecution. And out of persecution, many of them leave Jerusalem and they're kind of like, oh, persecution's happening. And the, the church kind of spreads out. They flee Jerusalem, launching into a universal mission. I love how God had them together, got them grounded, got them knowing what fellowship and caring is all about. Then He allows persecution to happen so they can then get the message outside of their walls the principles should be followed though not the exact patterns our culture our context is very different for them they could meet every day for them they could live together possibly for them they could do all those things for us it can't really do that today and we also see that the early church had many problems and challenges a lot of people go we gotta be like the church in the book of acts and you read through the book of acts and you just go okay maybe not Read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, right? They had a lot of problems. Yet, there's something beautiful in this passage that we want to look at. Let's take a look at verse 42. What we're going to do is the next three weeks is just kind of break down what's happening in verse 42. Take a look at this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer these are what we call the four marks of the church or the four great characteristics of the church church history is called it you look at church history, they go ah if you want to know what a church is this is the one verse that explains what's happening within a local body this is the foundational verse again for the book of acts This demonstrates that the new believers devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Within church history, two churches were identified by their faithfulness to the preaching of God's Word and the practice of communion and baptism. This covered the vertical side the teaching of God's Word, and then the horizontal side, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. 
teaching of God's Word and prayer, and then also the communion and connection with others. This is the capstone of church life. This is what life in a church is like. In fact, it used to be where if people would say, oh, we're a church, and they would say, well, do you do Acts chapter 2, verse 42? If you don't do those things, you're not a church. These are things that must be done. So the first thing mentioned is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a brief look at the life of God's Word that's found in God's Word, the authority of God's Word, and also the teaching and application of God's Word. So let's begin with the life found in God's Word. One of the great themes in Scripture is the connection between God's Word and life. We see that both in Old and the New Testament. When God gives life, He does it through the power of His Word. The power of His Word. Let me give you some examples here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God gave life to the universe by what? Speaking His Word. Let there be light, He said. And there was light. And we see in the beginning there, God's Word brought life. He spoke, things happened. God's people are given life by the Word of God, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who is the Word. The incarnate Word. So again, listen to this. John chapter 1, 1 1-4. through In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. John chapter 1, verse 4. So Jesus became the Word, and in the Word was life. Even life for salvation. Here it is, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing, what? From the Word of God. If we want salvation, it comes from the Word of God. You cannot have faith in Christ just by simply looking at the beautiful nature and all the things around you. That can make you aware of like, there is a God, there is a great Creator, there is a purpose in creation. But Christianity is about the people hearing God's Word. And responding in faith. It is the power of God's Word that brings people to life. So life is found in God's Word. The second part. The authority of God's Word. Two years ago when we began our series Christ in the Old Testament in January, we spent three weeks just talking about God's Word. The inspired, the authoritative, and the accurate Word of God. I encourage you, I'm not going to reiterate some of that stuff, but just look online. We have three great messages that Pastor Tony and I gave about the authority of God's Word. The Word of God is true and has ultimate authority over our lives. One of the problems is we live in a truth-starved society where people don't believe in truth anymore. They don't believe in absolute truth and the the authority of God's Word. And some people around us may think, oh, that's arrogant for you to believe something like that. 
You cannot say that this is the authoritative Word of God. Oh, that's arrogant of you. I would say this. It's not arrogant to believe something. It's not. It's not arrogant to believe that the Bible teaches that it's the inspired Word of God. God intervened and broke into our broken society and lives and spoke His Word. And then He sent His Son, the Word, to bring life on behalf of our sins. He brought life through the cross event. In fact, here is our statement of faith. Listen to this. The Bible is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. This is how we filter things in life. Therefore, it is to believe in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. This echoes what happened during the Reformation when the Reformers said, sola scriptura. What happened was, during the time, the church was saying, well, here's the Word of God, but also here's the authority of the church was equal on par to the Word of God. And the one who speaks for the church is the Pope. So the Pope's words are equal to the Word of God. Uh, 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 uh. Wrong. This has ultimate authority, amen? And they even started saying, well, church tradition... That's important. Trust me, I like church history. Church history and tradition, that also is equal with the Word of God. Uh-uh-uh-uh, wrong. So the Reformers protested. And they said, no, this is the ultimate authority right here. This is important even for us today in how we do church. In fact, what I'm going to show you here is a little grid on how I, as a pastor, think about even the authority of God's Word and how we can use it when, let's say, our government comes up to us. I thought of this by doing to be or not to be. Have you heard that? Okay, yeah. To do or not to do. So here's this chart. When the government says to do something, how do we answer? And a lot of us want to respond by, well, our tradition says this. My convictions and preferences say this. Or even, well, the Constitution says this. Look at me. Just like the Reformers' time, here's the Bible, here's the U.S. Constitution. You hear that? Okay, that might offend some of you. You might, oh, I don't know. Well, it's true. This is our authority, right? So here's here's the grid I kind of use here. To do or not to do. What if the government says, you know what, Maranatha? It's time for you to do, allow marriages of same-sex couple. Well, how do we respond to that? I mean, I've got my preferences. I've got my convictions. But ultimately, we use the Word of God here. Or they say, you must give your sermons to us. That happened in Texas. Where one preacher was preaching against false religions. And I think the mayor didn't like that. So you need to hand over all your sermons. Well, how do we, how do we answer that? This is the kind of person you are to hire. Instead of you as a church deciding who to hire, no, you're supposed to hire this kind of person. How do we respond? You're to pay taxes. You're to have exit signs in the church. How do we respond? Or don't do this. You cannot preach Jesus as the only way. How do we know what to say to that? You cannot say other religions are wrong. Or if they say, don't address moral issues of the day. In fact, don't even talk about abortion. 
It's too sensitive. People will be offended. Or don't assemble. You, you can't be together. Or you can't do political campaigning. Or you cannot give money to the poor. Notice what I have. What determines our answer? Not personal preferences. Although those are very important too to think through. Not political alliance. Or not even the Constitution first. We as Christians think through and use this as our authority. Our adherence to the biblical teachings is how we answer these questions. So what I've done is I've put three quick summaries of what I think is a good filter to think through in answering things. What are they? We ask, is it sinful? Or does it reflect God's holiness? Anything that violates the holiness of God, we should not do. Amen? Amen. That's what we're taught in Scripture. Secondly, our witness to the Gospel of Jesus. If people want to hinder my witness to the Gospel of Jesus, which is happening all around us, they can try it and and I'll, I'll maybe comply in some ways. But You'll never let this heart stop letting others know the beauty of Jesus. Amen? You can't have a cross on your church. And the last one, our love for God and love for others. Again, this is just three. I could probably put more on there. This is three kind of main filters that we use. Statements from Scripture. These are good summaries of Scripture. So how do we do this? Let's look through this. Marriage of the same-sex couple. Well, I look at the first point here. I've got bullet points. They're all just one, two, and three. Well, no. We will not comply to that one. Because it violates what we believe is taught in Scripture about marriage. Amen? We won't. We will not comply to the government's request if they ever say that. Give sermons to us. While well, look at bullet point number two. Absolutely take them. Learn about Jesus. They're all online free for you. Hear about the beauty of Christ. This is who you are to hire. Well, I'd look at bullet point one and two. We want to protect the character of our church. And if they say, well, you can't hire those type of people, you need to hire this person who doesn't reflect biblical standards. And the dignity of our church, we will not comply. Pay taxes. Well, if we've got to pay taxes, we'll end up paying taxes. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next couple of years where the government just goes, ah, churches, you're no longer tax-exempt. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Exit signs. You've got to have them on. Okay, fine. We've got exit signs to keep our people safe, right? We do things. We comply to the government's request because of point number three. We want to love others, love God. Okay, sure. Not to do. Look at that list. Preach Jesus only. Why look at point number two? Oh, I love Muslims. You bet I do, right? I've got Muslim friends. But I will always proclaim that Islam is a false cultic religion. Address moral issues of the day. Why look at point number one? We will not comply if they say do not do, not do that. We will preach about righteous living as described in Scripture. Amen? Again, we're letting the Word of God, the authority of God, help us answer these questions. Well, I've got my personal preference about that one. Grateful it lines up with Scripture. 
assemble. You can't assemble. Well, that's a tough one. I would say yes and no, based upon point number three. Why are they forbidding us to assemble? Now, recently during the COVID thing, it's been great that even though they've said don't assemble, don't meet in groups of 10 or you know, more, all these things, it wasn't just the churches. This wasn't, I don't believe, just church persecution. In fact, they put more limitations on bars than churches. That's okay with me, all right? Why are they asking us not to assemble? If a tornado's coming and they say, don't assemble, and we still say, well, forget you, government, we're going to do it, and then the tornado hits us and a bunch of people get hurt in our building, well, no. Don't gather to preach? Uh-uh-uh. We will still gather, right? You bet we will. So that's what Scripture tells us to do. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Political campaigning. They say, don't do that? I'm fine. I look at number three. I'm fine. We're here to promote Jesus. I'm patriotic. I'm not into nationalism. I'm here about Jesus. Give money to the poor. Not too bad. We will still do that. We won't let people know, but we will care for the poor, right? So again, this is a good kind of... I, I just kind of wrote this out. It's kind of the way I think. You know, How do we answer yes and no? Well, it's based upon what does Scripture teach us about sin and the holiness of God. What does Scripture teach us about presenting the Gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we love God and love others? This is a way to do it. At the bottom I said, understand and discern our convictions. Major versus minor. We have major convictions. Things that I will fight for to the end. Right? Then I have minor convictions. Things that are like, yeah, if you agree to, on that, great. If you disagree, we'll agree to disagree in those areas. Cultural issues. Should a wear a suit when he preaches? Uh-oh. In fact, I even made sure I was untucked to make you think like, that guy looks like a slob. Remember 50 years ago when pastors always wore suit and ties? Raise your hand if you remember that. That's the way it was. Well, that's a cultural thing. Wally's dressed better than I am today. That's okay. You look fine in that suit, coat, and tie. And it's hard sometimes. We, we have our, our convictions and our cultural issues, and we want to bring those. But again, this is our authority, the Word of God. And gratefully, most Protestant churches are still that way. And for Maranatha, this has always been our authority. Amen? And it will be. Okay. Life given in God's Word, the authority of God's Word. Now, I want to just talk here about the teaching of God's Word. Take a look at that. Take a look at Acts 2.42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching now we see in scripture both old and new the importance of god's word and being taught god's word is central to the life of god's people here's some examples out of exodus chapter 20 through 24 and leviticus 10 god gave the law of mount sinai and then he instructed and gave them teachers who were to teach them about the law Teach them the Word of God. They were taught the Word of God. 
Nehemiah 8, 8, Ezra reads and preaches from the book of the law. It says this, they read from the book of law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read to them. That's what I do every Sunday when I preach. I read from this and I help instruct what's being taught from the Word of God. New Testament, Jesus said in Luke 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well because that is why I was sent. Jesus preached the good news. Jesus told the disciples to teach others all that I have commanded you in the Great Commission. Matthew 28. Your job is now to teach what I have commanded you to do. 2 Timothy 4. 1-2, through two, Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. When I was in seminary, once in a while I'd go, preach the Word. Just don't preach your opinions. Don't preach all these fun, fancy things and fluffy, fluffy stuff. No, 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 no. Preach the Word. As one professor always said, one finger's in there, one finger's on your heart, and preach the Word. Preach the Word. So the first Christians were Jews. And they were devoted. Take a look at that verse 42 again. They were devoted to the truth about hearing God's Word. And as we see in the book of Acts, and we see in the epistles, when it was Jewish people, they were big on understanding the understanding of Christ and Old Testament fulfillment. Because for them, they're like, whoa, this is it? How is this? Okay, this makes sense. Fulfillment? What does this mean that Christ fulfilled the law? And the apostles taught them about the life of Jesus and how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. We must have the preaching of God's Word. This is what our church is about and what we will always be about. Preaching is essential and how it always has been central to the life of the church. And our culture just grates against that. In fact, we are told that people cannot sit more than 15 minutes in hearing someone. Already, their time is up. Because of our attention span, because of commercials, because of TV, and now we got all the stuff on, on our phones and stuff. We, we, we just can't tolerate sitting that long. And then some people cave into that. Some churches cave into that. They just give sermonettes, as I learned from a missionary who was on, in the Philippines, said, don't ever give sermonettes. You'll create Christianettes. You don't want that. Kind of funny. but Sermons become shallow. They are not to be shallow. They're not to be pep talks. Go do it. Go live a good life. They're to be centered on the deep truths of the Word of God. Preaching must be in the church. Preaching and teaching must come from the context of God's Word. Listen to that. Preaching and teaching must come from the context of God's Word. Now for us at Maranatha, you might like, well, that's a, that's a silly statement. Well, of course it would. Well, that's because you're at Maranatha. There are churches around us that don't preach from the Word of God. Can you believe that? There are many churches that do not expound on biblical passages. Instead, they give kind of 
quaint, topical sermons that make you feel good. They want to appease you and make you happy and make you, oh, okay, that's what i got to do. Live a good life leading to twisting of Scripture and then doing sermons just to keep a crowd. There are some churches who just do cool, fun sermons to keep a crowd. Do you know how dangerous that is? Dangerous. Preaching that is not extracted from Scripture carries no authority at all. Right? My authority as a preacher ultimately has nothing to do with my title, senior pastor, nothing to do with the, the, the school thing I have on my wall. It's my elementary one. I don't put the other ones up. That's the foundation. Has nothing to do about my skill set. My true authority is only as far as I am truly expounding upon the Holy Scriptures, right? That's where my authority comes from. And my best sermons, here it is, my favorite sermons are the ones when I study and I preach to myself and I go, woe is me. And I'm changed by it. And then I can come up and go, oh, this has changed me. I hope it changes you. Preaching and teaching must come from the context of God's Word. Here it is. Get ready. Fire me if I ever put this aside, right? This is our authority. We must teach from God's Word. Preaching and teaching must be in the context of community. Here's a tough one now. Listen to this. It must be in the context of community. The ministry of Nine Marks, a great ministry here in America, one of my favorite church ministries that's out there, say this, the individual that marks our culture and Protestant heritage of the priesthood of all believers, we can sometimes think that simply having a Bible study is sufficient. That me, my God, and my Bible are enough to bring us to spiritual maturity. Individual Bible study is not sufficient. Bible studies in small groups are not sufficient. Coffee hour with your friends are not sufficient. Only when our church is centered around the preaching of Scripture can we truly claim to be Word-centered church. When we hear the Word of God being preached, guess what's happening right now? We are in community. We're together as a local body. And when we're hearing the Word of God, this should be done also in the context of relationship. Listen to this. When we're faced with the truth, we have the body of Christ around us to support us when we hear this truth. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God absolutely, convicts us, comforts us. But also the Holy Spirit can bring others in our relationship here at church to reinforce the truth that was just preached. And again, this is best done in community. Around people who know our lives. They can speak into our lives and respond as they see the Spirit working. Respond in a godly way to what is being preached and encouraged for spiritual growth in your life. Here's a tough one. Listening to a great preacher online is not sufficient enough. It's not what the church is about. It's being in the context of relationships here. 
We need to sit under the faithful preaching of God in a real church. And it's hard because now we're in this COVID time. People are now going, okay, you know, I'm just going to listen to sermons online. They'll be good enough for me. Yeah, that, that's okay, but you need people also in your life. In fact, here's one of the lines I told one of my friends. He's, he's a preacher, and he's got a smaller church, and he may not be the best preacher, and he's always like, oh, I wish I was a better preacher, blah, blah, blah. Now my, there's people in my congregation who listen to Andy Stanley or whoever. He's like, oh, I'm losing people. I said, you know, listen, here's the deal. They'll, they may do that for a while, but Andy Stanley will never come to their funeral of their parent as you sit with them. He will not be by their bedside. You will. You're the one who will shepherd them through the hard times. They don't have his phone number. They have your phone number. Keep being the shepherd. Keep preaching the word, right? Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, when we gather together as a church and you hear God's Word and something's stirring in your heart, you can go and say, hey, John, that was a, oh, man, I'm, oh, something's heavy in my heart. Pray for me, John. And John will be like, I'll pray for you. Love to pray for you in that area must be done in the context of community. Don't isolate yourselves in times of spiritual difficulty or emptiness. We must combat spiritual apathy by sitting under God's Word and being together, hearing God's Word preached. Be in community under the preaching of God's Word and talk about the truth you just listened and heard. When you hear that, talk about the truth of God's Word. Lastly, the application of God's Word. We talked about the life of God's Word. We talked about the preaching and teaching of God's Word, the authority of God's Word. Lastly, here, the application of God's Word. It's interesting, in the book of Acts, we see that they studied God's Word and found ways to apply it to their lives. Look at the rest of Acts chapter 2. They were filled in awe, wonder. The apostles went out and did miraculous things. They shared things in common. They applied the beauty of God's Word in their lives. Don't just study the Word. Obey it. Apply it. And put it into practice what God is teaching. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not just be hearers of the Word only. Don't just listen to the Word. Be doers of the Word also, right? With Bibles in hand, preaching in our ears, truth in our hearts, we can confront the lies all around us. Amen? We can reach out to society and show the love of God found in the beauty of Jesus. In fact, that's why we're going to the book of James. We did a bunch of theological stuff for two years, Christ in the Old Testament. Now we're just going to how to practice. James is that book. But take a look again at this verse we're looking at. They devoted themselves. See that? It wasn't, oh, they just went to church and we're like, okay, preach it, dude. All right, let's fellowship. Good to see you. Hope your Christmas is great. They devoted themselves. 
to have an authentic, passionate devotion to Christ, we must stay in the Word. Here's my line. I say this often. Keep your fingers in the Word and your eyes on Jesus, right? Keep your fingers in the They were devoted to. They were fully committed and gave their attention to the teaching of God's Word. And we must also, as the first Christians were, be devoted to the Word of God. So let us continually be devoted to the teaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You have given us Your Word. And Your Word will not return void. It is more precious than gold. Sweeter than honey. And in keeping of Your Word, Your your servants are greatly rewarded. And Lord, we want to be devoted to Your Word more and more. And as this next year's coming, and the world will hurl stuff at us, the enemy will hurl stuff at us, we might see lies all around us, but we will combat that by Your Word. Help us believe Your Word. Help us be devoted in quiet devotion daily. And as we gather together, when we hear God's Word, we get convicted. Brothers and sisters around us will support us and help us so we can be more and more like Christ. Lord, teach us how to use the Bible as a filter to say yes and no when people say, well, you got to do this. As a great line in the heritage of the Evangelical Free Church, where does it say in Scripture? And they would just go right to Scripture. Help us be bold with our testimony as we keep our fingers in the Word and our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Would you stand?